Welcome to the Navali Podcast Behind the Bathrooms, where we talk about bathrooms, business, and everything in between. I'm your host, Ben, and joining me is my co-host, Steve Nokovich, director and founder of Navali Bathrooms. In the last episode, we talked about improving your business and customer experience with transparency. And now this episode, we'll be talking about the next step, which is building your team. Whether you're hiring your first employee or you're expanding your growing business, either way, building your team will require the important fundamentals that we will talk about today. So now that's out of the way, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. How are you today? Good. Good. Thanks, Ben. How are you going, mate? Going well, going well. So in the previous episode, we were talking about why transparency is the foundation of a great business and customer experience. And now we're moving on to the next step, which is building a team. So to kick off this episode, could you tell the listeners on what your team was like in the early days in Navali when you started off? Yeah, look, I was probably pretty fortunate in the early days. Um, once I was working with my father, but then once he retired, I sort of went out on my own. Uh, my my first hire uh, was, luckily enough, a friend of mine uh, from school who was looking for a change in his his um, uh, workplace. So he, he asked for an apprenticeship. I said yes. We started working together, which was fantastic. And um, that, that relationship continued for a very long time after that working together. And then from... Uh, him being the first hire, we got another guy on board, which again, probably fortunate enough, he was a cousin of mine, <laughs> still to this day is working with us. So the first two people that I sort of had working uh, alongside me were people that I did know. So that that was probably an easier transition to starting to employ people, I guess. Yeah, I, I find that most new businesses usually hire people they know, which makes sense because it's people you can know and trust usually as opposed to if you're going to take a risk and hire outside people you know and things like oh, that. You just, yeah, you feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, okay. So um, on top of that, how did you kind of find new subbies? Were you kind of using word of mouth for a while whilst you were building? And when did you start kind of going out of the word of mouth and knowing people and starting to use other channels? Um, so, yeah, with the subbies, uh Working for lots of different builders uh, and going from tiling to renovating bathrooms, again, it probably wasn't, a, you know, crazily too difficult. It wasn't too difficult because uh, I had the ability and I knew a lot of, a lot of, let's say, plumbing plumbers. I'd have uh, six or seven that I knew. Same thing with electricians. And I went and just seeked out the ones that I thought I could work with, uh, not necessarily the best tradesmen, not saying that they weren't, they were great tradesmen, but they had to have everything else. They had to be you know, professional. They had to answer their phone. They had to be polite. Um, they were neat, tidy. You know, Even their vans were, were sorted. They weren't a, a mess because um, I knew that would translate onto the job. So having a big group of builders that I was working for and they all had different tradesmen, I was able to actually go and sort of seek out the ones that I wanted to work with. So it, was, it wasn't too difficult. I wasn't like starting with no uh, no relationships at all. Yeah, you've touched on it 
a really interesting point that you're saying, you know, just the, the small things, just turning up on time, answering your phone, looking professional. It kind of leads on to my next question of what kind of particular character traits and skills were you looking for and, and, and values? How much do you, do you weigh on um, a person's values and attitude when you're hiring someone? Well, when, you, when you're looking at someone in, in the bathroom space, let's, let's say it is a subcontractor, um, they should know their trade. A plumber should know how to plumb. An electrician should know how to do all the electrical work. It's, it's all the other bits and pieces. Are, are they going – do they have honesty and integrity? Are they going to do the right thing when someone's not on site? Are they going to uh, bring things up when things go wrong? Um, are they going to be nice and polite to Mr. and Mrs. Jones? Because at the end of the day, we're not on a building site. We're, we're in someone's home. So it's a different level of care that's required. Yeah, definitely. And I think that – when you when you go in someone's home, it's just it's a very it's a very delicate thing. This is this is what people live in for most of their time. They spend a lot of their life in this place, and you're you're walking onto it. Yeah. It's definitely important to remember these things. And I think I've been kind of guilty when I walk on a site or walk in an office. I kind of forget these things, and things might slip by. So yeah, definitely agree with that. And in these early days, did you kind of have? Was it the hiring process essentially just you asking them to hop on? Did you kind of interview them or kind of just? Yeah, it would have been very simple back then. You'd have been asking a few questions, you know, well, really you want to know what ability they've got. What are you wanting them for? So let's say early on I needed additional tilers to help out. I, I didn't mind the level of skill they had because sometimes you could, it would be easier for us to teach someone with the right attitude than someone who'd been doing it for many, many years and had some potentially bad habits um so we we just looked for the attitude if they had the right um desire to learn and wanted to sort of embrace the challenges we'd prefer to have someone like that because the trade itself you know they're going to be around for a while um and and we can sort of teach them that part of it so really yeah it was it just goes down to i think nearly all of it comes down to the honesty the integrity uh respect for each other and the professionalism all those things that's that's pretty much where it all starts. Yeah, and, and I guess do you feel that you can teach skills but it's very hard to teach attitude and values and that kind of those intangibles yeah, to someone? I, I, yeah, it's, it, we would struggle to teach someone and I don't know if this happens or if it doesn't happen but we would struggle to teach someone about empathy and putting them, themselves in the other person's shoes. You know, I've sort of had that instilled from a very, very young age, always having to put myself in someone else's shoes to understand where they've, they're coming from and their perspective. A lot of people can't do that and then when they can't do that, they, they can issues can arise and they don't understand. So it's, it's hard to sort of teach a few of those values, like you said, uh, as opposed to the skill set. Someone who's polite and courteous and respectful and honest and the integrity and, you know, answers their phone all the time and responds in a very prompt manner, those things, they're going to have a lot of those things already. We can potentially refine or help refine some of them. Uh, the skill the skills are a lot easier to teach. Yeah, I've definitely gone through the same experience of when I'm working with people. It's a lot easier teaching them the technical side of things rather than teaching and adjusting their behavior and explaining why to them and rationalizing that. So I think, so you've moved on from hiring with, from word of mouth. When did you start kind of relying on not 
referrals and relying on recruitment channels? I think probably what started that was when you start hiring people that you know and you trust and then you try and get the person that you know and that you trust into a role which probably doesn't suit their capabilities or the desire for them to want to do that. Let's say you've got, I don't know, as an example, you've got a carpenter and you know him and, you know, you've got a relationship. So there's trust there, there's uh, respect there and you want, you need a site manager and then you grab this guy that you know and you go, okay, well, I need a site manager but there's a whole heap of tasks that are required to become a site manager and whether he's wanting to learn those skills some of them are skills, whether he wants to learn some of those skills or not um, is determined by him. So if you've got a carpenter that just wants to do carpentry and you know and trust him and you go, look, I need you as a site manager and they'll come on board and say, yep, I'll do it, but really they don't want to do it, then it's it's trying to fit, what is it, a square peg in a round hole? Yeah. So <laughs> we then started – you know, after identifying that a couple of times going, okay, we're asking certain people to do certain things that they probably don't want to, not that they're not capable of, that they probably don't want to do it. So then we went, okay, we'll go the other way and we'll actually put an ad out. So we'd use something like a seek, um, you know, seek.com, whatever, whatever the uh, address is there. And um, we would actually put out an ad of exactly what we require. So then we're setting the expectation like we do with our customer, we're setting the expectation early. We require all these things to be done. This is the role. These are the responsibilities. These are your KPIs. Um, can you do it or can you not do it? And then sometimes they can. Sometimes there's a few things missing but they're willing to learn and we'd hire them based on on their, um, their attitude. And in comparison to using referrals and, and seek, how, how are they both panned out in comparison? Uh, chalk and cheese. To, to, to me, it's going out there and actually asking for exactly who you want and exactly what you need that person to do has been a lot, um, I don't know if you want to call it easier, but it's been, it been better to get that. It's, it's probably just setting the expectation early on and making it super clear instead of trying to push someone into a role that's maybe not wanting to do it or, or ready to do it. Yeah, I think you uh, led on to my next question about how do you find if and pretty much distinguish if someone's really passionate about your business or if they're just really looking for jobs? Uh, we've, we've got an interview process or recruitment process, even just our initial first phone call. Like one of the questions is, what, what do you know about Navali bathrooms? And when the answer is, oh, yeah, not much, uh, just I know they're just – throwing their resume wherever they can and they're looking just for a job and we're not interested. Then when you get the answer is, look, I've been watching you guys for a while. I've been looking. I've been studying. It's something where I think I could really fit. I could add value. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to benefit. Hopefully I can – you know, hopefully it, it, it works both ways. When you sort of start getting um, answers like that, they're, they're the people that we want to talk to. Yeah, I think that also applies to just – um, just business in general and just when you're applying for jobs or if you're looking for people, it's so important to look for people that know and understand what you're really about, what your values are and whether they're really passionate about your company and also growing within your company and doing a good work and making your business look good. So we were talking earlier in a previous conversation of 
kind of your hiring philosophy and you, you raised an interesting phrase of you just, I'm really paraphrasing here. You, you ask what they want and say yes. And can you kind of explain to the listeners what this phrase means? Depends on who's coming in and at what point. So we've got a couple of different um, positions that let's say we're always hiring. You've got subbies always coming on board and you've got uh, potential uh, people that are managing certain areas. Certain areas have a, a have a program that we've sort of designed for them. That's a little bit set because there's a lot of value to, to them if it's the right person. But in general, let's say we're looking for a, a plumber and a plumber comes on board and he wants to join our network and a lot of the times I'd hear, uh, how much are you guys paying? And I'm like, well, we don't have set rates. It's like, how much do you want? And they'll say, I want 80 bucks an hour, whatever it is, $80 an hour. We just say, yeah. The answer is yes. Well, well, if you can do the job and then after that, obviously they've got to deliver. We've set the expectation on what we require as a business. They've said they can do that and they've told us, you know, about their abilities and all that. We potentially know them from somewhere or they've been trialed and we, we will literally just say yes because if someone's out there saying, I want $80 an hour, and we say, look, we only pay 60 That $20 that's missing is going to come out from somewhere. Mm-hmm. They'll either work slower, they will charge for something that they probably wouldn't have charged for, and we at the end of the day, it's a net-net zero. Like it's, it's worse off because all we're saying is, well, we don't value what you think you're worth. Now, you've got to prove what you think you're worth, so you can't just come in and say, oh, I want $150 an hour. At the end of the day, it's, it's not sustainable and it's not going to be worth it if you can't deliver the result. So we don't really look at uh, every, every hourly rate or every position and every uh, salary to be the same because if you look at it from our point of view, uh, we have a plumber that charges $80 an hour that does not need to be managed. He can set up, he can do his job, he's very efficient, He's very polite. He takes care of it. He follows our process. Now, I don't have someone else that's charging or that's costing the business, let's say, $75 an hour having to oversee this guy. You get that guy that says, oh, no, I'm happy to do $50 an hour, whatever it is, and I've got to now spend all this extra time and effort and money to manage the guy, then it's not worth it. So a lot of people, I believe, get stuck on this hourly rate. The hourly rate to me is is not irrelevant, but it's not part part of the formula. So you you pay what the guy thinks he's worth, he delivers, and it's worth it to you. So it's a little bit of a different way of doing it. Instead of having a rate and saying and dictating terms, we let them we let them dictate what they think they're worth, and they just prove it to us. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this anchoring on salaries and price it can it can really affect a person's performance in the long term and whether they're really committed to your business. And I think you touched on a point that you don't really consider those costs. Like if you over-negotiated and they, if you're lucky enough for them to accept that negotiation that you've proposed, which is lower than that what they believe they value, you're going to see that they're going to not, not put in 100%. They're going to just put in whatever they think is that value and suffices that value. So it's better just to, as you said, within reason, pay, ask what they want and say yes. So it kind of leads on again to uh, the next question of how have you seen any 
has there been any cases where a candidate has impressed you or does there, is there any standout experiences of a candidate kind of impressing you amongst the, the crowd and pool? Is this before we've hired or after? How about both? Both. Um, it, it's, it's you sometimes just can't tell. Like you can be super impressed beforehand and then after the hire it's like, oh, I got that wrong. Um, so I was probably sold up a storm. And then, you know, and then you've got the guys that um, just follow the, you know, the whole recruitment process. They start the job and they've just been gold. For us, they've like been diamonds in the rough. It's just absolutely um, above what we've expected. And you can just see it from from when they start and they, they're in that training phase and something's not right. It's, it's, it's always going to be on us because it either hasn't been explained correctly um, or we haven't documented it properly uh, for them to get it and then they understand it and then they just double down. We see how they double down to get it even better. Um, that attitude to us really um, really helps us sort of grow. Um, so, we're, yeah, we've had both cases. Impressed at the recruitment stage and not so much after and then at the recruitment stage you think, yeah, this guy's got the right attitude and he comes on board and he blows us away. That's That sort of goes back to a few things that we've built out probably where we've we've found that there's – actually probably makes – yeah, this, this does make sense because the guys that are in the recruitment process selling up a storm, they're generally the ones that don't perform the best and the ones that actually just get in there and do the work, I've noticed that those guys are very quiet. They just do the job and the result – actually uh, shows us that they're performing. So they don't need to tell – they don't need to come in and go, okay, guys, I've done this and this is fantastic. The way our system has been built is the report and the data actually just shows us that they're actually – they're killing it. Wow. So it's pretty much, you know, they let the work do the talking. 100% they do, yeah. Yeah. And with the trial process, say for a subby, what's the trial process like usually? Well, usually we'd just have them – so so for their sake and our sake, we'd just have them come on board for a week or two. You you would really know – you really know actually within a day or two what, what's, what they're like, that they've shown up on time, they're asking the right questions, they're, they're wanting to learn uh, and their level of ability is, is enough to, to sort of build on. Right. So now I'd like to move on to – my favorite topic of this episode, which is using metrics and data to maximize the performance of your team. But before you can do this, you you need to refine and optimize your business processes to the point you can actually hand them over to your new team member. So Steve, can you share your experiences on kind of let the listeners know what your business operational processes are like as well as the metrics at Navali? Yeah, so... Everything that's getting executed out there, even before actually, before the job starts, so when we get a phone call to the job running and afterwards, we, we are collecting data on on everything. We're already getting the uh, information anyway and as long as we're getting the information, we've got that to produce a, a report at the end. So w- we know basically, you know, for, for us, we're, we're sort of doing this whole podcast to be able to try and help the, the early starters in this bathroom renovation journey. For, for them, uh, some of the data that we've collect, we collect today 
is actually the same data I collected from day one. I, I needed to know that um, I was going out there and, say, quoting X amount of jobs and winning X amount. So then I understood how long, let's say, a, a quote took and how much time I needed to allow to understand my conversion rate on the quote. So if I'm quoting 10 and I'm winning four, I understand that I need 10 quotes to get four and how long is that four going to last me? And um, understanding even just simply something like uh, from getting that phone call. For these guys, they need to understand, and, and, and we've seen this as a bit of a challenge. It's the, I think they call it like a seesaw effect. So they're out, they're out there and they're super busy. So I'm busy, busy, busy. I don't need to worry about quoting. I don't need to worry about finding the next job because I've got, I've got five weeks of work uh, in advance, right? So they think for five weeks they're, they're fine and something will come. But if they understood getting some of this data, let's say simply for them if, if they could understand how many quotes they need to do to win one job and then how long it takes from getting the phone call to a job getting accepted. So Mrs. Jones saying, I'd like to go ahead with Billy Bob's bathrooms, right? And and then from there, when did you start? So there's a process from a customer saying yes to a job starting. So and that that could be the phone call happens on the 1st of June. Mrs. Jones says yes on the 1st of July, which is 30 days and the job starts 30 days after that. So you've got a 60-day process from the phone ringing to a job starting. So that means if you need and you and your team need one job a week or one job a fortnight, you then can do the simple maths of understanding how many leads you need to how many you convert to understanding how far in advance you need to have your jobs booked out. So simple things like that will help you understand your pipeline. So how many jobs. So that's just simple data collection which allows you to make a a very um, easy decision on where you need to be to spend your time and how far in advance you need to have jobs locked in because if you've made a commitment to a hire or an employee or subcontractors, then you need to make sure that you've got that front end. That's just one one number, one or two numbers that we collect out of many, many numbers in order for us to then understand what's the best way to run the business. And then not even just from the sales process, you have the entire process mapped out, KPI'd, and yes. you have metrics on just every step of the way. On, from, on everything. From the first point of contact to handing off uh, the project to to a completed bathroom to the customer. Is that correct? Yeah, so, through, so throughout that process, there's, uh, there's a lot of KPIs that need to be um, – Met and if they're not met, it's it's not a problem. It's just understanding why they haven't been met and then what we do in order to to help that get achieved. And it could be as simple as um, uh, the subcontractor that we have on site uh, doesn't do this part of the job, and then I have to spend my time to make sure I uh, clean up after him. I think that's that's you've pointed out a good point that you know KPIs and metrics employees shouldn't be afraid of these numbers and afraid of not hitting these KPIs, I think it's just a good metrics to measure what is working, what isn't, so you guys can diagnose and fix it, adjust it, and not be so intimidated by the numbers and everything. It should really just be a tool to aid you. That is is all it is. It is being built in order to just aid and help and guide 
and then we can tweak from that because for us, uh, you know, I've been told by certain people, you know, you can have too much data, uh, but for us, this data allows us to manage and manage and make decisions quickly. So on a monthly basis, you've got a clear snapshot of your business and then you can make a decision very quickly before you get to the end. I've, I've been told many stories where a lot of the guys out there, they're, they're, um, their results are based on what the accountant tells them at the end of 12 months, right? So it's too late then. You don't know whether you've made money, lost money, how the team's going, where you, where you spend your money on, on marketing, advertising, if, even if you, ha- if you have to at all. Like you shouldn't have to if you're early on. There should be, you know, your work should be providing you with referrals, which allows you to convert at a higher rate, which allows you to keep your team busy. Uh, all of those things need to be taken into consideration. And with this, with this data, um, what, what software and tools are you using to kind of track it and record it and pretty much report it? A lot of the data will come from our project management software. So we'll put their leads in there and our job data comes from there. We've created a lot of it in-house. Uh, I've got uh, my main man, Brian, who does all our QA compliance uh, so he's built the whole operations report so we can see, you know, we all our processes operationally, we can see whether they're done on time, whether they're done a day late, whether they're done a day before. Uh, we've got critical site inspections throughout the job. We've got handovers. Like I know if a handover, let's say, as an example, a handover on a job is done five days too late or five days past the average time that we like it done, then that guy might be overworked. And if that guy's overworked, why is he overworked? Does he have the right team? If he doesn't have the right team, we've got to go look for the right guy to fill in to help take the pressure off him. So it's all just, uh, it's almost like root cause analysis. As soon as something's not right, we can just delve straight back into what is the reason to why the result wasn't achieved and then we help make that happen. It's it's really simple, but it can be quite daunting for someone who's starting out, but it's it's a necessary. And it's just saved you so much time and it just leaves the guesswork out. You There's, know? Yeah, it's... it's um, Having the clarity, being able to identify the issue, being able to resolve it, however however, there's many different ways that it's going to get resolved depending on what the issue is and being able to, being able to look at that on a month, like we could look at it on a daily basis, but on a monthly basis really stopping and sitting down and evaluating where you're at in your business. That's going to help the guys out there understand moving forward that they, it's, it's, a, it's a necessary and it's an understanding that there's value in doing it. And I think that's probably missing where a lot of, um, I'm going to say tradies, I'm a tradie, but there's a lot of tradies out there that don't understand the value of keeping the document documentation uh, neat and clean and using that to then make decisions instead of just thinking that the job's done well and that's enough. It's not enough to be able to then manage your team and then manage the business. And essentially grow it. To, to that point. So uh, with Brian, actually, you were, were you doing, were you documenting and doing a lot of the QA before Brian? Uh, with the, yeah, we, we were just in a different format. So I, I'm also lucky enough to have, uh, Olivia's been doing our books and accounts and anything that I've ever wanted created, it's been created. So even our Excel doc that we, when we started building that for estimating. So she started putting a lot of these. Uh, I've had this data collected, like I said, from day one. So it was more her that had done that from the business point. And now 
we've really delved into it when it comes to operations. So, so yeah, Brian, who runs the QA part, he he's um, taken it to a, another level when it comes to operations. So that's been that's still getting refined even now. We're just constantly improving it. Wow, and I think it's interesting that you know you haven't received any special training with learning numbers and stuff like that. A lot of people aren't; they might not be a numbers person. So, for them, how did you pick up all these kind of skills? Did you need any special training at all, or was this just something natural? Do you have any kind of advice for people who aren't numbers oriented orientated to learn these skills? Um. <clears throat> I would say I'm naturally orientated to understanding to get the best value for myself because I value my time. I think that's where it comes down to as well. I value my time. So I want to spend the least amount of time on something and, and, and keep redoing it, right? And then also understanding where I'm spending my money in regards to, um, let's say, if it's advertising or marketing or or on staff or on new equipment, I need to know what value is coming from that spend and the spend is whether it's money or whether it's my time so for me it's it's quite it's just logical it's just a process it's like one of the earliest ones let's say for example when i started doing a little bit of advertising i would spend money in the inner west courier and i'd spend money on google and it's just a simple uh analysis on what return am I getting from my dollar? So I would literally get $4 revenue for a dollar spend on Google as opposed to the, the paper. So if I'm going to spend a limited amount of money, I'm putting it all in Google. It, the, it's all changed now. That was you know 10, 10 years ago. So it's, it's different now. But it's different now because we know it's different because we've been monitoring it and watching it and collecting it. So then our money spend on Google now, it's, it's, we don't even want to spend money on Google. Right, so um, that's to me is makes logical sense to understand. If I'm spending money, I need to then collect the the data on what that's given us as a business to then make a decision on the following month or the following quarter or the following six months. So it, it, I think if someone's out there going, where do you start? You, you start. I think you read a lot and you start looking at someone else who's doing it. And been there and learn a lot of lessons. And you know what? Go and ask questions. Go and ask lots of questions to the guys that have been through that whole journey. And more often than not, people that have, they're more than happy and more than willing to actually impart their knowledge, experience, and wisdom. I definitely agree. I think also with KPIs and metrics, the best ones are the ones that are not complex. They're just very simple, straightforward. It KPIs should be able to well, once you've learned the basic processes and everything, you should be able to look at it almost like a traffic light and assess within 10 to 30 seconds, even less, what is happening, whether your business is doing well, whether that process is doing well or not, and you should be able to diagnose quickly. That's how KPIs should be should be designed. And that's how is is that how it's pretty much designed for you, Steve? That it, you know, you have pretty much a quick snapshot of a percentage performance or even just the macro view of the business and within a short amount of time you can see exactly what's going on now? Uh, pretty much I can look at any area within our business and we've got multiple areas because we all work local to our our you know location, let's say, where we where we live. And I can 
pretty much we've built the dashboard. Uh, there's a dashboard, and th- from that dashboard, uh, call it one minute, uh, you get a really good snapshot of understanding whether the the guy that's running that area or, or for the guys out there, it's, it's your site manager running a job, you know, breaking down those three or four things that you need to have happen and being able to look at it in a real short period of time and and make a make a call on certain things and be able to help that person get get better. So, yeah, and everything pretty much leads on to something else. So if something's not been hit, then you're looking at the next thing and then you're understanding why that didn't happen and it's just a, like I said, it's that root cause analysis. And it, it kind of brings it back to the age-old saying of numbers don't lie. You know, you could get a lot of information, a lot of feedback saying from maybe team members or just even even other stakeholders saying, yeah, this is going well, this is going well. But at the end of the day, it's all about the metrics that really tell you the best information and the truth. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because the reason the, the reason this dashboard or, or all these metrics have been put in place is, is from that basically. It's, you, you know, someone who thinks they're operating to a certain level and then it's like, well, the, num- the numbers don't lie. So it goes back to what I was saying earlier. The guy that's out there just chipping away, doing his job, the numbers tell us that he's doing his job because his client satisfaction is 100%. His jobs are on schedule. He's hit the GP that's required. Um, that's all we need. Mm. All we care about is, is the customer happy? Yes. Is a job on schedule? Yes. He's And the guy who's obviously delivering it, he's happy. And then that's it. All the other metrics are just numbers. Right, right. And, you know, these metrics, they're not just for you, right? They're, they're also for your managers. And your managers are the ones that really are using these KPIs to manage their teams. So uh, when did you train them at all in learning these KPIs? Was it easy for them to pick up? Uh, it's a slow, slow progression, I think, because a lot of the, there's a lot, when there is a lot of numbers, and, and we've been working on this for, you know, 12 plus years, it's easy for us because we're, we're in it and we know it. So anyone new comes on board, they just go, they just get into it quite slowly. So you show them a little bit. And then the next time you show them a little bit more and then you explain a bit. So it, it takes a while. It can take months and months and months or if not years for certain people depending on their role to really understand it. Like I, I would still struggle and I, I'll assume that a lot of people out there that are renovating bathrooms, right, and I'll say they're renovating bathrooms and there's a difference and even just getting the penny to drop internally for my teams uh, you are running a business that renovates bathrooms. And the guys out there that are renovating bathrooms, they're actually not running the business part of it. And you can't run the business part of it without the data. So it is super critical and super important for, for everyone to understand the numbers, but it does take time. And the, these numbers are really um, what Steve has in front of him. It's just an Excel spreadsheet. It's not something that's really specialized or anything. All the technology and software is out there now thanks to just the technology and accessibility. So I definitely would recommend listeners out there if you want to try it out. It's not expensive. You can just simply start off with an Excel spreadsheet. And Excel is pretty up. powerful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's one of, one of my favorite tools. <laughs> so we're at the point. So we've, we've talked about hiring people and then – 
the process and then the metrics. And at this point, I want to talk about training. And we were talking a bit about before about this kind of term about hiring, hiring slow, firing fast. But you guys do it differently at Navali. You guys hire slow, fire slow. Yeah. So could you just let the listeners out there know what that means when you say that? But we, we spend a lot of time recruiting, interviewing, uh, going through that process before anyone comes on board. And that, that is just setting the expectation of, of what, we, what we require as a business and, and that, that level sort of gets you know, put onto them before they start so they understand. So that, that actually takes a bit of time to make sure that we've got the right people on board. And then when we've got the right people on board, we'd rather, and we have, we have actually fired fast before, but that's not not the the norm. Um, so s- hiring slow and firing slow, it just it gives them time to get into the system. It's it's almost like I've, I've thought about this before, where you have a a tradesman who has an apprentice, and your expectation is what of that apprentice to what not make mistakes. And, and not spend the time to learn and, you know, you've got to give time to the, the right person to, to fit in and learn some of the, the processes to give them, um, you know, in fairness, you know, that, that time to, to settle in, understand instead of first, first time something goes wrong, it's like, sorry, see you later. And, and I can see that would be a frustration for a lot of people out there that are, uh, by themselves, they go to their first hire. I was lucky with my first hire, but you have your first hire. That first hire makes a mistake, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Oh bloody hell! That that's cost me money. It's cost me time. I'm never going to hire anyone again." But you didn't give that time that you didn't give that guy or girl time to understand what you needed, or you didn't explain it right, or you didn't follow that process. So I, I think giving someone enough time to fit in and understand is is fair. Yeah, and I think there's another pitfall that a lot of businesses in general do is that they hire too fast because they have this mentality that they need to grow as fast as possible. And I wanted to know what your thoughts on on how fast a, a business should grow and whether it's better to be, say, a small giant or be someone that just grows within, say, 12 months and double keep doubling their size and revenue and things like that. Uh, for for us, I think, uh, and I've seen this happen as well a few times, where you can only grow to the ability of your team, and and we'd rather be ahead of the ahead of the game where we've got the team before before the growth. So we're always being able to service the customers. So it's not about you know we we have uh, let's say we have teams that have certain starts a week. So they might start one job every Monday. They're starting a job. If a customer turned around and said, uh, we want you to do our bathroom, we don't just say, yeah, we'll start tomorrow, we'll start next week. Our team can own, that team can only deliver one start every week, which means that that customer might have to wait for three months or four months or six weeks, we, we don't, whatever, we might have a gap. But we don't just take it on. So taking on extra work when you're not ready and prepared will actually cause you problems. So I think the growth needs to be okay. I'm not. There's guys out there that are growing businesses at, at a at absolute you know quick speed, 
that's that's fine if they can do that. But for our our industry and what we do, I've I've found that this the slower the organic growth is a hell of a lot better and less stressful for everyone involved and it gives everyone the time that's required to actually deliver what you're promising. And it usually leads to a more quality product or at least gives you the control to handle that quality and deliver that quality. And and I, that's kind of interesting that you you mentioned that because a lot of a lot of businesses out there may you know, when they hire someone new, they might just give them the full responsibility, do trial by fire hose, so to speak. But it's really important to let them start small and build up and jump through the hoops. So can you just let the listeners know out there how you guys kind of train up new new, new employees and what that process is exactly like? Yeah, so we, we would have someone new come on board, just shadow one of our one of our guys for a period of time. And we would slowly get them to a point where, well, they've shown us and we've shown them um, the level of capability they've got and we sort of push them in a slow time frame. So it, it isn't day one you're out there running bathrooms or, or you're left to your own devices. I, I, we wouldn't allow that. So you would be with someone and there's a cost to that and a lot of people don't want to wear that cost because at that point that person may not be as efficient because there's training involved but that period is crucial in order for them to be able to, in three months or six months' time, be able to run a job or take the pressure off, you know, the business owner out there. So you're investing in the in the beginning. A lot of people don't want to do that. So I think it's important to consider when you're bringing someone on board, there is an expense to training. But in the long term, you either pay for it up front or you're going to pay for it later. And you're better off having a new person. If And if it's your first hire, they're with you. And yes, they're not going to be making you money every day and they're not going to be as efficient, but that's okay. That's going to allow you to move away in three to six months' time or, or not move away completely, but step away and start working on, on the business instead of actually being there every day. No, I definitely agree. That's a good point. And I'm actually curious now whether do you guys hire people with the expectation that, you know, that you don't need to put too much training on them so then they can start as quickly as possible? Or do you have that expectation that you want to put a lot of training into them so then they get used to, they adapt to your company's kind of MO and they can do the job right and you take time on them and they can actually grow in a more comfortable pace? Yeah, I think that's a balancing act there too because we've done it both ways where we've heavily you know, invested in the training up front. When I, and when I say that, I mean sort of the, the documentation bit and the paperwork side and and the theory part of it. But we found that the guys out there are actually just, it doesn't matter what role it is, they're just working underneath someone who knows the role and slowly reinforcing all of the um, processes and, and manuals that we've got in place. That allows for a slower but I think a bit more um, you know, it, it just sinks in a lot more when you're you're learning and the practical side and the theory side happen um, together. And you also were mentioning from an earlier conversation that, say, when you hire a manager, we were talking about starting small. In this case, you would you you know they would start with maybe after shadowing and learning the processes. Now they're ready to go into the real world and be on themselves. You you just give them one project or two projects, let them see how they go with that. If they are acceptable, then you start building up on that. Can you kind of ex, kind of explain to the listeners that kind of pathway program that you usually have in place? 
Yeah, so, you know, our ideal candidate's going to eventually be running an area, let's say. Uh, we would start that person on site. They're, they're working almost as a trade assistant to a site supervisor, which gets them understanding the actual product and service that we're delivering. So they they have no choice but to start at that point. Uh, and then it's just moving and they dictate the time frame actually. So if they're completely competent and their capabilities are super high, they're moving up that ladder pretty quickly. So it, it's knowing every little detail of the business from the ground up. So we won't ever put, uh, let's say, I'll give you an example. Brian, QA compliance. He was renovating bathrooms for a period of 12 months, 12 to 18 months actually, on the ground, understanding every single little detail before he could go out there and build the report that was required and then help the tra- help the training and setting all that up for the next guys. So that's a long period of getting intimate with the process. So the expectation to have someone out there and throw them in a role and then expect there to be no issues, no mistakes and no problems, it, it's unrealistic. It's actually unfair on the person that you've put in that in that role to throw them in the deep end. Some, some learn, don't get me wrong, some learning comes from that. You, you can't teach some of it and, and it's got to be lessons learned on site and that's fine. We actually expect that and accept that. So, And you guys have support systems in place for these new new hires as well. So, you know, Brian or even just a manager handling a project, they, they you actually have like a subcontractor network that you can provide them when they're starting off and even just handling the admin for them as well. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, can you explain more about that? Yeah, so so for us, I don't know how much this will help someone who's sort of early on, but yeah, for us, we've got a network of inducted subbies. So they've worked with us, paperwork's up to date, their licenses, insurances, they understand our site rules. That sort of helps new people coming on board to be able to sort of hit the ground running with with subcontractors that know how we operate that help that helps a lot uh, and we take care of that internally and a lot of the um, yeah so we've got what we call a support office but we we take care of the admin side of of it because the guys out there their, their strengths are in actually getting the job and running the job not necessarily uh, reconciling accounts so we're at the stage now that we've we've hired the candidate We've got our processes and our KPIs ready and we have trained them. And now the training wheels are coming off and it's now it's up to the candidate, the employee to do the job. What is now requiring is focusing and providing adequate nurturing and support for the team you've just trained. So Steve, can you just explain to the listeners out there why it is important just knowing the individual motivations of each team member. Yeah, well, we need to know. Yeah, we need to know what's motivating them to be able to sort of give them what they want. So, if someone's motivated by purely being in a team environment, we make sure that they get what they need, and that's a lot of support from us. Uh, definitely, uh, a lot of people that I work with are not motivated at all by money. Um, that's been taken off the table pretty much from what we said earlier. How much do you want? How much do you need? Okay, no problem. So so that's sort of gone. Now they need all these other things, which is uh, a pleasant work environment. I think a lot of people want the ability to grow. So we, we have a lot of, um, you know, paths in order to keep progressing, which 
is a lot of satis- that it gives a lot of satisfaction to a lot of people. So um, yeah, that's that's pretty much where where we sit in regards to that. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good good answer as well because money is I think at a certain point it's not a big motivator for a lot of people. You know, there's some people that are motivated by Definitely. money. No, that's, that's, fine. that's completely fine. That's fine. Yep. But then there's also other things around. It's not just the the dollar bill in the end that is driving people to come to work and do a good job. So how important is rewarding and recognizing good work from your employees and how has that affected their performance when you've recognized, let them rec- recognize that they're doing good work and you've told them without them asking you and... Yeah, how, how has that panned out for you guys? Yeah, we, we try and do that proactively. So we don't want I, – I wouldn't want someone coming to us and, you know, thinking they've been doing a fantastic job or, or, sorry, actually doing a fantastic job for a period of time and us not being able to recognise. So we're always looking at whatever we can do in order to – and sometimes it's literally just a, a big thank you. Sometimes it's a bonus. Sometimes it's a we're going out for lunch. Sometimes it's – it's um, a trip. It, it depends. It depends on who it is and at what point and, and what they've achieved and how far they've exceeded the expectation, I guess. Um, we try and do that proactively and that in order sort of leads to them understanding that they're being valued. Yeah, going on that about gratitude and positive feedback, that is a great motivator for even from personal experience when – I had managers saying like, look, mate, you've been doing really well. You're really working hard. You're really interested in it. That really pushed me to really want to do well and- And do and do more. As do well. more, yeah, exactly. That's and right. grow. And I think that's, that's something that, you know, it, as a new business owner, you might forget or, you know, you might be caught up with all the whole putting out fires or just yeah. managing the business and doing a thousand and one things. But the at the end of the day, people are going to stay when- they're in a nurturing environment. They're getting feedback and movies. Yeah. And sometimes it's just as simple as that. Like, look, mate, you did really good today yeah. and can't wait to see where you go. And hopefully, you, you know, you grow and do well. So now I like to bring the conversation where Navali is now, which I feel like it's the growing stage of the organization, it's, which is I think it's a little bit after the starting up stage. I can see that your pr- processes are very well documented, tried and tested and refined to the point that it's relatively optimized. You have very eff- effective metrics, KPIs. You've built a, an amazing team of managers who are quite capable and take a lot of responsibility off you now. And now you're at the point where things are becoming automated and you, you know, your, your style is becoming more hands-off. So I'd like to move to the automation part of the episode where your team, and your, your team is able to get your business around once you've put in the investment. So what is it not like now having a capable team at Novali? Uh, it, it is right now, if I go back to when we first started, Putting everything in place, again, seems daunting and seems like a big investment and a lot of time required, but the payoffs are now. The payoffs are having it all structured like you've just sort of gone through and having the guys and girls that we've got be able to self-motivate as well and keep themselves accountable 
because it's it, it goes back to it being super clear on what's expected from everyone and they know their roles and responsibilities very very clearly so they don't need the the direction from the next level up all the time uh, it, it it's yeah the value and the benefit is is now after that many years of of putting things in place and i think maybe that's also a thing that the guys that are starting out early on is to not expect to be able to have this you know, sewn up in, in 12 months. It takes years and years and years of, of dedicating yourself to refining a lot of the processes and putting mm-hmm. it in place and just starting by documenting it, writing it down, like we sort of spoke about in the last episode. It's, it's just documenting every little process down and then getting better and better and refining and tweaking and adjusting. So we've been doing that and now it's 12 years in and it's at a point where everyone can, they keep themselves accountable um, there are there are reporting structures in place that can help them uh, guide and and understand where they're at in their journey. So yeah, we're we're fortunate, we're lucky at a point now, but that's after a lot of years of and it's and we're nowhere near finished. This is <laughs> a fifty year project, so we 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 are still at the start. I think the time part of it is. Um, the expectation from people on the time is different. Some people think they can do what we've done in 12 years, in 12 months. It doesn't happen. Uh, and some people don't even want to do this. Some people are happy to go out there and just renovate bathrooms by themselves, maybe with a trade assistant. And you know what? Happy days, honestly. If, that, if that's what you want to do and you don't – but there is a difference between renovating bathrooms – and running a business that renovates bathrooms is a big difference and a lot of people are struggling to identify for the, um, the key differences. Well, 12 years of doing this and building your team and building all this up to this point. And now I'd like to ask, how has your vision, focus and business objectives have changed from when you just started Navali to this point now? Yeah, so I'd say when I first started, I I did look at other renovators out there and I thought no one's been able to actually grow a very large, let's say, bathroom renovation business and be able to maintain the quality. So we've gone out and, and it hasn't changed that much. I've, I've had in my head, uh, I call it franchise, but but that type of model, a different model, uh, where you've got partners in the business. I've had that in my head for, for many, many years. I remember working for a bathroom renovator probably 10 years ago, uh, even long, even longer actually. It was probably more like 15 years ago. And he, he, he mentioned the word franchising and I, I did. I thought, well, what are you actually franchising? Because there weren't any systems and processes in place. And I thought, okay, well, that's where the value and the key key is. It's in actually the documentation. So... Seeing from the beginning, there was no real large. There's a couple of, well, there's one I'd say good bigger business that renovates bathrooms, but there's not really any super large bathroom renovation. And I'm talking in Sydney, super large bathroom renovation businesses in Australia that can do it on a scale and and maintain that quality and consistency. And, and that's sort of been our driver to to create that framework to be able to allow that to happen. Well. As usual, thank you for hopping on to the podcast, Steve. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? Uh, just thinking about that guy that's starting out early on and we're talking about building a team and the first hire. 
uh, is probably going to be someone that you know, but sitting setting that clear expectations on, on them and being fair on that person and and I guess like you sort of said as well, you know, they, they need a pat on the back when they do the right thing and they need the encouragement in order to deliver the best value for yourself. So just, just simple little things like that. And then probably from after the first couple of people that you're going to have on board when you're trying to build this business is then going out there and actually saying, I need this in order for me to move away and step away from being have to, or having to be on site is that's the type of person I need and I need that person to do X, Y, and Z and going out and trying to find that. And that is the end of the episode. Thank you for listening to the Navali podcast, Behind the Bathrooms. If you have any questions or would like to reach out, feel free to send us a message through the Navali Bathrooms Facebook and or Instagram. And stay tuned for our next episode. 